Good morning, everybody. Everybody doing all right this morning? You look great. You sound great. As Pastor Jeremy just said, my name is Mark Walker. I'm the senior pastor of Mount Perry North, both our campuses. And just give me a moment, if you will, to just kind of take this in. You guys have got a weak head start on me. So I just want to sit here and just look at this. Oh, this is, isn't this amazing? Isn't this fantastic? Can we give God praise for this? Wow. Wow. And, uh, you know, I just want to take a moment and commend uh, Pastor Jeremy, who's the campus pastor here. You guys are blessed. We as a church are blessed to have Pastor Jeremy Isaacs as the Canton pastor, along with his wife out here at our Canton church. They just do an amazing job, and their team, Pastor Sean, Pastor Blake, Pastor Trevor, and all the uh, volunteers and elders, man, you guys just did an amazing, amazing job. Can we hear it for them and thank God for them? And I believe even greater things are ahead in the Lord with our new location, the Canton Church. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here. God, the opportunity just to engage your presence. Help us to never take that for granted. Help us to always know the price that was paid for us to be able to do this. That your son died on a cross so that we could be forgiven and have a relationship with you. But man, he rose from the dead that we could know you eternally. And we thank you for that, God. And I pray for those in this room that... Are, are seeking that and wanting to know more about what that means. I pray that today they take a step closer to you. And all of us, wherever we are in our spiritual walk with you, may today be a new day of moving deeper into what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me introduce my wife real quick, too. This is my wife, Udella Walker. For those that, not, that we've not had the opportunity to meet, stand up real quick, baby, so everybody knows who you are. A couple, three years ago, I was sitting down in the basement of our home when all of a sudden I heard a door slam and my wife that you just met, she was screaming. So I ran upstairs and there she stood trembling, literally, at the door that goes from our kitchen into the garage. And I said, baby, what is wrong? She said, Mark, there is some kind of a critter running around in the garage. And it just ran across my feet and scared me to death. And so I, I opened the door. She said, don't let that critter in. I said, I'm not planning on it, but let me open the garage doors so the thing will get out. So I open the doors, and I'm looking around. There's no critter. But then I look up, and sitting in her car is our 25-year-old daughter. She's locked herself in the car away from the critter as if the critter could actually open the door to get into her car. <laughs> she rolls the window, cracks the window like this, and she yells out the window, said, Dad, Mom slammed the door in my face and locked me out in the garage with this critter. She said, what kind of a mom does that to her daughter? And I said, evidently, your kind of a mom does that to her daughter. Well, we didn't find the critter. But about five days later, this nasty smell starts coming into the garage. It's that dead critter smell. And we had to leave for vacation that very day that we're smelling this thing, man. And Udella said, we've got to find this dead critter. That's all she would call it was the dead critter. So we go looking for this thing, can't find it. But what we found was a little hole in the baseboard that we figured this dead, this critter had crawled into and died. But we didn't have time to mess with it. We had to get on the road for vacation. We thought, well, maybe the, the smell will go away by the time we get back. Nope, 10 days later, that smell is there. Now, it's diminished a little bit. And we're thinking, do we call somebody out, or do we just wait and see if the thing goes away? Well, we're too cheap to call somebody out, so we're just going to wait to see if the smell goes away. Well, 
it finally did, after about another week, go away. At least we think it went away. Maybe we just got used to the smell and it still stinks in there. I don't know, but I know this. Whether the thing is the smell is there or not, my wife, for two or three months after that, whenever she went into the garage, she carried a broom with her. No critter was going to get her again. <laughs> but you know, emotions are a lot like smells. We can have good-smelling emotions, and we can have bad-smelling emotions. Good-smelling emotions are like joy and hope and gratitude. And man, they just make our lives smell better and the lives around us. Bad-smelling emotions are like depression and fear and worry. And man, they just kind of stink up our lives and kind of stink up the world around us. But you know, emotion or, 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 or smells are not random. They just don't happen. They have a cause. A dead critter smell just doesn't happen. It comes from a dead critter. Well, our emotions aren't random. They just don't happen. They're triggered by something, and most often they're triggered by our thoughts. It's very difficult to separate our emotions away from our thoughts. In essence, we feel according to the way we think. I mean, angry people primarily think angry thoughts. Discouraged people primarily think discouraged thoughts. Fearful people primarily think fearful thoughts. We feel according to the way we think. And if we're not careful, just like the odors in our homes that we get used to, that other people outside our homes can smell, we can just kind of get used to the dead critter thinking of our lives and the dead critter emotions and smells of our lives. My brother-in-law, my mother-in-law tells me that my brother-in-law, when he was a little boy, when he would go into people's homes and it smelled, he would just say it out loud. He'd just say, ooh, your house stinks. <laughs> and sometimes people from the outside have to help us see, hey, you, you got some smelly emotions going on in your life. We are what we think. Proverbs 23, 7 really says it best when it says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And that goes for a woman as well. John Ortberg, who is um, a pastor and author and speaker, I, I like what he said. He, he said this. He said, people who live great lives are people who habitually think great thoughts. And here's the question that I have for us today. Am I more of a dead critter thinker or am I more of a great thought thinker? Now, Jesus Christ gives us the ultimate source of great thought thinking so we can live great lives, the lives that God intended for us to live. And in a conversation that he has with a person that's called an expert in the law, somebody that knew the law of God very, very well, is recorded in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. And let me just read this conversation as Christ gives us the ultimate source of great thought thinking. It says this, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. Jesus Christ was saying, eternal life is this. It is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ that is manifested in our love for him with our entire being, heart, soul, mind, and strength. That so transforms our lives, it changes the way we look at others and love others and the way we look at and love ourselves. In essence, what Jesus is saying, these are the essentials 
to being fully human as God designed us to be and to live the eternal life he has for us. And what I want to talk about this morning is how do we love God with all our mind? How do we go from dead critter thinking to great thought thinking? And we're going to look at two places in the writings of Paul. Paul in Ephesians and Paul in Philippians gives us a picture and a process of how to love God with all our mind. The first place we want to look at is Ephesians to see this picture of going from dead critter thinking to great thought thinking that God has for us. Now Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus and these are primarily Gentile people who come out of pagan, occultic, godless ways of life. And he's writing to this church saying, that's not you anymore. And he gives us this picture of dead critter thinking versus great thought thinking. In Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 17, here's the picture he paints. He says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Now what he's describing is dead critter thinking. He says these have chosen by their will. He says they're, they're darkened in their hearts. He says they've chosen by their will. The heart is the place of our will. It's where we make our decisions. They have chosen not to pursue God because of the influence of their darkened minds, their dead critter thinking. Thus they're living lives without God that are dead critter lives, if you will. And look what he says in verse 19. Having lost all sensitivity... That's emotion. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. What's he describing there? He's describing emotions and behavior. But emotions and behavior follow thinking and decisions. They just don't happen outside of what we think and how we decide. He's describing dead critter thinking. Every one of us have dead critter thinking. Why? Because we're all like what Paul's describing here. Every one of us have been impacted by the evil and sin of this world, the evil and sin that's been done to us, and the evil and sin that we've done in our own lives that has marred and distorted and, and caused our thinking to get warped, not according to the mind that God gave us originally. And something needs to happen. And that's what Paul's saying. This is how you used to live without the Lord. But then he says this, verse 20. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. That's dead critter thinking and dead critter living. Verse 23. To be made new. Say that with me. To be made new. One more time. To be made new in the attitude of your minds. There's a mind change here. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That new self is the very character and nature of Jesus Christ. When I make a decision that I'm going to follow Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in me to live in me and bring to me the very nature of Jesus Christ, the very mind of of Jesus Christ, which is one of holiness and righteousness. And now I can really begin to think the great thoughts that God has for me. But Paul said, here's the picture. I go from great crit uh, 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 dead critter thinking to great thought thinking by being made new in my mind. Another way to say to be made new is renew. Say that with me. Renew. One more time. Renew. 
So if I were to say this, what does it mean to love God with all my mind? I would say it this way. To love God with all my mind is to pursue a renewed mind in Christ. Can you read that with me out loud? To love God with all my mind is to pursue a renewed mind in Christ. I mean, that, that, that tells God, I, I love you. I love you because I want to think like you. I don't want to think in ways that aren't like you. I love you. And the way I really show that in my mind is I want a renewed mind in the very mind of Jesus Christ. Well, what is the process then? Paul gives us the picture in Ephesians. What's the process of really pursuing this renewed mind? I believe we can see that in another place of Paul's writings, and it's called Philippians. When Paul writes this letter, he's in prison. He's in prison for preaching and teaching Jesus. Now, Paul doesn't um, get uh, into pity. He, he doesn't get angry and embittered because he's doing what God wants, but he's being persecuted and thrown in prison. He doesn't curl up in the fetal position. You know why I believe he doesn't? Because he's in the process of a renewed mind. He has great thought thinking going on with him. And he writes this amazing letter from prison to people telling them to stand fast in the Lord, to endure in Christ. And I believe he gives us a process of this renewing of the mind in Philippians 4. And there's three parts to this process. So let me just run through this quickly as we look at this together. Verses 6 and 7 of Philippians 4 says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The first part of this renewal process is prayer to God. That's, that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, hey, here's what you do. You, you go to God in prayer. Let me just say this, that it's very difficult. If I, if I say I love God, and I want to love Him with a right mind, and with the very mind of Christ, I want to show that love, that I wanted this mind to really go from dead critter thinking to great thought thinking. It's very difficult to do without some type of consistent conversation with God, without some type of a consistent prayer life in my life. Let me just run through a few things that Paul says about prayer here. One of the first things I think he says is this, worrying isn't praying. Say that with me. Worrying isn't praying. Man, if worrying was praying, I would be a tremendous prayer warrior. People would be seeking me. I would be doing conferences all over the globe about worrying prayer. But, but worrying isn't praying. What did Paul say? Do not be anxious about anything. Instead, to do what? Pray. Worrying isn't praying. But if you can worry, guess what? Say it with me. You can pray. Absolutely. That's the beautiful thing. And Paul says that here. Don't worry. What do you need to do? What does he say? Pray in detail. Petition. Request. Take all those dead, critter, worrisome thoughts, those dead, critter, depressing thoughts, those dead, critter, discouraging thoughts, those dead, critter, anxiety-ridden thoughts, and man, tell God all about them. Transparent open. You know what a great sign of loving somebody is? It's when I can be totally vulnerable, totally transparent, totally open with them. Man, that's a great sign of healthy, deep love. And that's what Paul's saying, man, give it all to him. And then you know what he says? And the peace of God, you know what it says it's going to do? It's going to guard my heart 
and my what? My mind, my thinking. That word peace of God there, that word peace, it means symmetry. It means congruence. It means to be synchronized. You and I, when we're in worry and anxiety and great stress, you know what's happening? Our will, our thoughts, and our emotions are out of sync. They're battling one another. They're, they're not in alignment. But man, when we take all that and in detail and open heart and total transparency, just pour that out to God, His presence begins to descend upon us. And you know what He begins to do? His peace, He begins to align our feelings, our thoughts, and our will together. Alignment with Him. And man, that's, that's peace. And now my mind can more and more go from the dead critter thinking to great thought thinking. And I know prayer is a mystery. I've been walking with God basically since dirt. I have a long-time relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's still, prayer is a mystery. It's a struggle. I don't totally understand it. You know? It's like the more I, harder I try to have a good prayer life, the more difficult it seems to, to be... To, to, do I have a witness in the room? Do you, did you, is that way for you too? You know, I saw this plaque a lot of years ago that said, when I work, I work hard. When I play, I play hard. When I sit, I sit hard. When I think, I fall asleep. <laughs> That's what it is with me with prayer, man. I go to prayer in like two minutes. <laughs> you know? And you may think, well, I'm a, I, can't, I can't, I stink at it. Well, you know what? I think God will take those two minutes of alert praying to no praying at all. And you may be like me too. I get distracted sometimes. I go to pray and I start thinking, oh man, I got to remember, I got to call so-and-so. I, I told him I'd call. Oh gosh, I got I to gotta get that lesson prepared. Oh, you know, I got I to gotta be sure I go get the bread or the milk. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Man, your mind just, let me tell you what I try to do to help me with that. I, I have a pen and a piece of paper. When I start to pray and those things happen, I write those things down. Because I don't have to then try to remember them. They're down. I can let them go. And I can get focused on him. And you know what happens often? I've created my to-do list for the day by the time I've finished praying. Doesn't mean you got to pray hours either. And you may think, man, I don't think my prayers are decent. I, I, I don't think God even listens half the time. I don't, I don't know that I'm praying right. I love what Richard Foster wrote in a book simply entitled Prayer. He says this. Just as a little child cannot draw a bad picture, a child of God cannot utter a bad prayer. God is pleased with our desire to come to him. The accuser might say, that's a terrible prayer. The grammar is bad. It's egocentric. It's wrong-headed. But I think God says, that's my child. She's chosen to come and be with me. She's chosen to be my presence. It's a beautiful prayer. God receives it. It's not complicated. First part of this process of going from dead critter thinking to great thought thinking, prayer to God. The second part Paul seems to give to us is in verse 8 of chapter 4. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, read, me, read that last line with me, please. Think about such things. The second part of this, you got prayer to God, then the perspective of God. What's Paul saying? Where do we place our thinking? He lists eight virtues. 
He says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is ever, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is, is uh, praiseworthy, whatever is excellent, that's what we think on. That's what we put, because all those virtues, that's the perspective of God. Wherever you find these eight virtues Paul is describing, you're going to find God. So here's the question I have to ask all of us. What dominates our thinking? What's the primary object of our thinking throughout a given day? Is it on these types of virtues of God or is it on dead critter types of stuff? Is it on great thought thinking? What dominates our thoughts? Paul's saying whatever. That idea of whatever, he says, wherever you find a source that focuses on these virtues, you're going to find God. What dominates my thinking? Because whatever it is, that's giving me my greatest perspective on life. Now, the primary source to get God's perspective is the Word of God, the Bible. I mean... It's from the Bible that we even know what is true and what is noble and what is admirable and what is praiseworthy, what is excellence, what is pure, what is loving. It's from the Word of God that we even know what those things are. And that is the primary place for us to really see God's perspective for our lives. And I have to say this, like I said about prayer, if I'm serious about loving God with my mind and really pursuing a renewed mind in Christ, it's very difficult to do that without some type of consistency and being exposed to the Word of God. Because that is God's perspective. And man, it's through the power of God's Word that my mind really begins to change. I, I love a quote from a book I came across entitled The Renewing of the Mind Project, which is a very interesting book that I kind of encourage you maybe to take a look at sometime. Because it kind of gives some practical ways to do some of the stuff I'm talking about, of really getting our minds focused on great thought thinking that comes from the Lord. But this is what the author, uh, Barb Raveling, says. She says, the renewing of the mind, like a home improvement project, is taking off and putting on. You take off the old self, you put on the new self. You take off the lies, you put on the truth. You take off the cultural perspective, you put on the biblical perspective. You take off what you learned growing up, you put on what you learned in the Bible. It's mulling over the Word, meditating on the Word, and allowing the Word to transform us. Now, I know, and just like prayer, you know, reading the Word and, and, and trying to learn the Word, that, that's, a, that's a challenging proposition. I, I, I know that it is. Again, even for me, in, in the length that I've been walking with the Lord. Some of you have been walking with the Lord maybe longer than I have, but it's, it's, it's a challenge sometimes on how do I best approach the Word. Let me, let me just quickly give you an approach that I think is rather simple and quite effective. Some of you Cantoners, if you will, you're going to recognize this because last year, some of the reading plans that, that y'all did, you used this approach, and it's called SOAP, S-O-A-P, and each letter represents a way by which to approach the Word of God. So very quickly, let me just run through this. The first letter, S, stands for Scripture. Whatever you're reading, whatever your reading plan, did y'all hand out the Matthew reading last, last week? Did y'all do that? Last week, you, if you were here, you got a, a little uh, a bookmark that had a 40-day reading plan in the book of Matthew. If you don't have a reading plan right now, we encourage you to do that. But maybe you have some other type of reading plan. But whatever your reading plan is, mine right now is reading through the book of Proverbs. A proverb a day. There's 31 of them, so there's one for every day. I read whatever the date is. Like today's the 24th, I would read the 24th proverb. And, and read through that. And whatever your reading plan is, 
Whatever scripture kind of jumps out at you, write that down. I put it in my phone. I put it in my phone in my notes area, and throughout the day, I'll pull up what that particular scripture is and just kind of meditate on it and look at it. Write that scripture down or put it in your phone or wherever it's going to best be with you throughout the day and just pull it out from time to time and look at it. O stands for observation. When you write that scripture down, observe, okay, what, what, is, the, what is God saying out of this? What's, what's happening with maybe the characters or the people that are involved? What, what am I observing about what God, what God might be saying? Then A is application. How does this apply to me? What would God be saying to me about who I am, about who he is, about my life, about what he, he wants to do? And then P goes back to prayer. I would pray, God, let this that you're trying to say to me really happen in my life. Let this change my thinking. Let this change my perspective. I want this to be applied in my life. And, it, and, it, and it's a simple thing. To me, it's, it's, it's kind of simple. It really has just kind of opened up a lot to me in terms of who God is and what he wants to say to my life. Last week, or actually two weeks ago, I had breakfast with a young man by the name of Bobby. And he um, is about 30 years old, been a part of the Marietta campus now for, oh, I don't know, maybe six months to a year. And uh, I got to hear his story. Pastor Jeremy talked about one of our four Christ-centered values is sharing your story. I got to hear his Jesus story. And he was born in South Korea. But as an infant, his parents abandoned him. He doesn't have any clue as to who his biological parents are. They left him on the doorstep of a home in South Korea that was directly across from the police station. He was adopted at four months old by an American family raised here in America. But he was... Uh, had a lot of prejudice and bigotry towards him. He was picked on because of his, his ethnicity. When he was in his 20s, he was diagnosed with acute arthritis. And so he began to take prescription pain medications, and he loved the way it made him feel. It jazzed him up. And so he became addicted to prescription drugs, and it began to ruin his life, hurt his family, himself, and ended up finally in a Christian a rehab program called Teen Challenge. Some of you may be familiar. That's a 12-month program. The first part of the program, he had to go through detox to get off the physical addiction to the prescription drugs. And then they began to work on his mind. They had worship services throughout the week as a part of this program. They had Bible studies. They had Bible-centered, Christ-centered type of counseling. And as he began to confront the Word of God, the perspective of God in his life, he began to realize something. His addiction to prescription drugs was not because of his arthritis pain. He began to track it all the way back to the rejection and the abandonment he felt when he was abandoned by his parents, as well as the abuse that he felt because he was so mistreated by prejudice. And he began to realize what he was thinking was, I, uh, I'm not worthy. I, I have no value. I have no purpose. I have no reason to be. I have no significance. And then he was confronted with the word of God and how God viewed him and what God said about him. And his mind began to change and he began to realize, I do have value. I do have worth. I am here for a reason. I, I do have significance. God has a plan for my life. And let me just tell you about my friend Bobby. He is totally, completely set free from drug addiction. He has been sober for over a year now because of the powerful transformation work of God in Christ by the word of God of the living God. I'm going to tell you something. 
I don't care how deep-seated some of the dead critter stuff is in your life. It is not too deep that God can't heal and change it and set you free. Prayer to God. Perspective of God. And, and, and then this last part that I'll share real quickly. Verse 9. Whatever you have heard, Paul says, or, or whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. This, this last part of this renewal process is people who model God. Prayer to God, getting God's perspective, and then people who model God. People in my life that are modeling the pursuing of a renewed mind in Jesus Christ. People in my life that are modeling great thought thinking. That's what Paul's saying to the Philippians. He's saying what you've seen from me, what you've learned from me, what you've heard from me, what you have received, put it into practice. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the gospel. That word uh, uh, received or learned or heard, it's the idea of a body of knowledge. Whatever body of knowledge you've heard from me. Well, what was the body of knowledge that Paul brought to the people? It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he says, what you've seen in me, what you've seen that gospel lived out, you've seen this model to you, that's what you follow. I want to ask you a question. Who are the people in your life that are modeling this pursuit of renewed mind in Christ? Who, who are we surrounding ourselves with? Are we surrounding ourselves more with dead critter thinkers? Or are we surrounding ourselves with great thought thinkers that are pursuing the mind of Jesus Christ? That together we're encouraging one another and holding one another accountable, pursuing this transformed life and this renewed mind that only comes through Jesus Christ. I want to tell you something. Another thing Pastor Jeremy mentioned a moment ago about Christ-centered living, one of the four values is making friends. The idea for us is, is, is being a part of a life group. We are unapologetic. Unapologetic about encouraging you to be a part of what we call a life group, a smaller group of people who are doing exactly what Paul's talking about. They're modeling to one another this great thought thinking. They're modeling what it means to pursue in a renewed mind with one another. I, uh, the first Sunday of January, down at the Marietta campus, I preached a message entitled, God's One Word, where I believe God had given me, personally, one word for 2016 that came from Him that, that was kind of be my theme for 2016. It's the word greater that God has given to me. And I felt really inspired to preach a message to the Marietta campus about Maybe if you, if you want to, pursue God's one word for you for 2016. In other words, instead of putting this list of, of New Year's resolutions that none of us keep, how many of you have just totally chunked your New Year's resolutions already? Yeah, you don't have to raise your hand. It's a rhetorical question because I know all of us have. But instead of going through that miserable failing process, what if God just gave us one word for the year that kind of became our theme from him? And what that might mean. And, and as I said, it's the word greater. So I preached this. And man, it resonated with so many people. I've been, I've been at this uh, 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 church for 20-something years. I don't think there's been a sermon I have preached in that time that has so resonated with people and had such feedback from it. I mean, people are texting me and Facebooking me. Here's my word, pastor, for 2016. Here's my word. Here's my... In fact, I don't know. We, we gave a bunch of free CDs. Maybe we, if you want to hear that, we'll bring a bunch of free CDs out here and we can give them away. We gave a bunch away because so many people wanted this message. I'm not trying to talk about a great message that I preach. That's not my point. My point is this. One of our life groups 
heard that message, and their first life group meeting after that message, they all talked about their one word that they believed God had given them for that year. And here's a picture of the flip chart that they sent me. They sent me this on Facebook, and this is all the people in the God's one word right there in the middle, all the different God words they believed they had received from the Lord for their theme for 2016. Some of the words you may have seen in the top left here in the blue, it says trust. One over here to the right, the top right says grace. One says time. One says relationship. Man, it's this one right here. I am praying for this person right here. You know what her word is for 2016 from God? Non-judgmental. Oh, please, Lord, never be my word. What should be my word next year? Non-judgmental. For an entire year, I don't think that's possible in my life. I'm praying for that person. Pastor Mark, what is your point about all this? Here is a group of people. And you know what they told me? They've been, they've been meeting for years. Said so this was one of the most energetic, one of the most enthusiastic, one of the most impacting times they've ever had together. What were all these people doing? They were modeling this desire of pursuing a renewed mind. They were holding each other accountable. They were encouraging one another. Let's go after what God is saying to us in our life. Here's the question I would have for us. What are the words you're talking about with the people you hang out with? Are they more of the dead critter variety? are they more of the great thought thinking that God has for us? At our Merida campus, we're able to stream over the internet and hopefully we'll be able to get that capability soon here at our Canton campus. And there's a lady who is out in Kuwait who was a part of our congregation. She's in the military. She was stationed out there. She went out there three or four years ago I've stayed in touch with her a little bit, and the other day she emailed me because she watches us online every Sunday, and uh, here's what she sent me, and I, and I close with this. She says, I look forward to each Sunday to hear a new message, and as you listen to this, I want you to listen to the renewed mind process and the importance of us as a church coming together regularly to model pursuing the mind of Jesus Christ, the impact that it has. Here's what she says. I look forward to each Sunday to hear a new message. I've listened to all the messages at least three or four times. Instead of listening to music everywhere I drive, I listen to a message to keep me focused, grateful, and at peace. There are a lot of challenges in Kuwait, and if I did not have the link to Mount Perrin North messages, I know my life would be different. Why? I've been diagnosed with severe, debilitating depression, or I couldn't get out of bed for days. The doctors had me on four or sometimes six different medications to help me live a normal life. Since listening, now listen to this close. Since listening to the messages, God's perspective, praying each day with you and the community, listening to the singing, the sharing, my faith has increased tremendously. With God's help, I've been able to get off all the medication. And when I start to feel depressed and my husband notices I'm going back to a funk, he tells me, fight it. I start to listen to the messages at home, at work, while I drive, and constantly thank God for his blessings and his love until I have the peace I need once again. My husband is a devout Catholic, and even he's listening to the message. You know you're making a difference when the Catholics are listening to our messages. He tells me this is a church he would attend with me. 
Again, she says, thank you to the entire Mount Perry North community and all the Christians that keep people like my husband and me in prayer. Don't ever think coming to church together as a body really doesn't matter. It does. We're modeling to one another. We're modeling to the world. Our desire is great thought thinking that comes only from Jesus Christ. I invite you to bow your head and close your eyes a moment. Father, thank you for your presence. I pray that somewhere in all these words I've shared, you've, you've spoken to each one of our hearts in some specific way. Now, God, I ask for the courage, I ask for the faith of all of us to respond in the way that you would want us to at this moment for your praise and your glory. This isn't about us as much as it's about you and what you want to do in and through us.